Welcome or welcome back to the company of the cat. Hi. So today's video is about some donate coastal houses. And before everything, I want to take some things out of the way. The first one is the Sunset Sea. Martin himself has said that no one has ever crossed the Sunset Sea to learn what lies on the other side. So I do not believe that the Ironborn or the High Towers came from the West, or that Elisa Farman reached the Sai through the Sunset Sea. We do not know what happened to Sun Chaser, Piracies, storms, ocean currents, and treacherous waters in general exist. Also, we never learned when and how she died, so maybe they changed direction or whatever at some point, which I personally think is way more plausible. The whole story is more symbolic than anything. To give even more credence to the whole to go west, you must go east, which is also symbolic. And since the author himself has said that no one has crossed the Sunset Sea, I don't see the reason to come up with theories that involve something like this. There is always the possibility that there was some land west of the main continent. For example, the part where the Lonely Light and Aegon, Rhaenys and Visenya are could have been bigger. So people went there and after the sea rose, they left and or drowned. But I do not think that the potentially sinking parts were that big in the first place. So it would make little difference. With the arm intact, obviously people from the southern parts of Essos who would have wanted to settle and had ships, would have settled at the reach and the lands north of it, since Dorton was a wasteland, even the children of the forest call it uh, empty land. And this is why seafaring houses from the Donates are found on the west coast, because the east wouldn't have been accessible at the time. And that brings me to the great empire of the Dawn. I do believe there was an empire in the east, obviously. Asai is huge and ancient. Someone was there, and they were very, very powerful too. The area we are told that the empire covered is enormous now and at that point would have for sure been larger since there was a quite big area in the north part that was drowned and the Great Sun Sea was fertile too and we do not know whether they had claimed over parts west of the bones too. So the whole oh they were people from the Great Empire of the Dawn is such a vague statement. 100% if there was such a big empire the people composing it would have been from different races, each with their own history and culture. At some point, Romans, Egyptians and Britons were a part of the Roman Empire, but we do not consider them Romans. And in universe, we saw the same thing. Technically speaking, Dothraki, Sarnorian people from northern Sothorios at some point were a part of the Valyrian Freehold, but they are not considered Valyrians. Yes, I think that the houses I'm gonna talk about today and the Ironborn are not firstmen. Now, whether the part of Essos they came from was a part of the Empire or not is something I won't talk about excessively, at least not in this video. Also, we forget that the Fisher Queens were a thing. And I'm with Crowfoot's daughter on this. They sound like seafarers, not a Cranogman type of society. Also, the Andals might originate south of the Silver Sea, and they for sure have some very strong parallels with the Ironborn, especially the Proto-Andals. So people living this area, and some of them moving to Andalos while other to Westeros, is possible. Plus the first Andals were described as light here too. Northern Sothorios had a huge civilization too, and not gonna lie, I doubt that the coastal area of the Valyrian Peninsula had no trading settlements. In any case, for the sake of our sanity, for now we will say that they were people from coastal Essos, but I will make an extensive video on Donage Essos at some point, the Fisher Queens and Dawn, and which parts of their history I believe are exaggerations and whatnot. The last thing is the hair. I think the hair thingy is mostly there for drawing the parallels, in my opinion. It's not extremely important, 
but we cannot dismiss it completely since it is an indication that they were not first men. Thing is, the hair is what made me raise my eyebrows and look more into these houses, but for sure it was not the definitive clue that these people were not first men. With all of this out of the way, let's start. I have a whole video on House Hightower, so I'm not gonna go very deep into their history. Their main source of income since the Donates has been trading. There is no way they were first men. They are talking about conquest by sea and they were fucking necromancers. They used advanced navigation techniques and even the maesters say they were not first men. And this is what stands out about these houses. Navigation, not the hair. About the hair though, yes, I think the high towers always had fair hair. The only wedding to a Targaryen we have where the blood stays in the high tower house meaning a Targaryen woman getting married to a Hightower man, is with Reyna and Garmund, and they only had daughters, so I doubt the blood stayed in the main bloodline afterwards. Also, Alicent was similar to Sarah, most likely, so she had pale hair, and this was before this wedding. So I think they were fairly blonde from the start. The second biggest similarity most of these houses have is the Arthurian names. Most of the houses I gonna talk about today Hightowers included, have Martin Fied, Arthurian, and all the English-inspired names. In Hightowers, we see names like Tristond, Garmund, Garmon, Uthor, Gwen, and Patrice. Another western coastal house with blondies is House Farman. We see some Arthurian names like Gilbert, and we also see a mark with a Q, something we see in Ironborn names a lot, these random Qs in names like Karl. But obviously, the most important thing is, again, navigation. House Farman has three silver ships on a blue field with a border of crimson and gold under sigil, and the words are the Windar Steed, so obviously not firstman. In the story of the icon, Elisa Farman, we see an extreme connection with the sea. As a child, it was said that she spent most time at sea than on land, and when she got older, she sailed on her own. And when she decided to sail the Sunset Sea, she did this voyage in the company of two hideouts. And the ship was also later found in a sigh, something that connects them with this part of the world, too. The hair of the members we have, by the way, is flaxen-colored. Flaxen is a pale yellowish-gray, the color of unspun-dressed flax. It's more cool-toned, meaning not the honey-golden shades we see in houses like the Lannisters. Moving to the Narrow Sea for a little bit, where we have House Massey, another house with flaxen, almost white-haired members. By the way, Justin is such a silly, goofy guy. <laughs> he's not dumb, but he's goofy. Now, unlike the Farmans and the Hightowers, the Masses were not as old. They were established as a house when Duran the Ravenfriend was a Storm King, still a very old house, but not as old. So they were established after the Hammer of the Waters. Maldon built stone dens in the early Age of Heroes. So why the hell they already have a Pirate King in their family when the Andals arrived if they were first men? And it's not that they just traded. In general, you need to be quite advanced and experienced at sailing to be a pirate. King Justin Massey, called Justin Milkai, was a king of House Massey and an infamous pirate, who was already at war with House Durandon when the Andals arrived. The epithet Milkai is also quite weird. The guy was probably very light, with very light-colored eyes, or was blind, which makes stuff more complicated since we do not have a full story. During the conquest, the Masses pulled a hideout. Even though the house was sworn to House Durandon, they supported Aegon instead of Argilac, like the Hightowers didn't support the Gardeners. 
The Master of Laws for King Aegon I was Tristan Massey, a position that other Masseys had held too, like Albin Massey, the Master of Laws for King Zaharis. In general, the Masseys were very close to the Targaryens, especially in the earliest days of the dynasty. They were members in the Kingsguard and the Small Council, as well as ladies-in-waiting. We had women of the house who were married to House Velaryon and by extension to the Targaryens. Good Queen Alessandra and King Zaharis' grandmother was Alara Massey, a great beauty that married Aethon Velaryon. And if not for unwing picks as Hattery, Eleanor Massey could have been married to Aegon III. Early on especially, the Targaryens made an effort to keep their bloodline pure, and the women they took to marriage were either of Valyrian blood, like the Baratheons, since Soris was a half-brother to Aegon most likely, or at least blonde people and people closer to the Valyrian look. So it seems like the masses, like the Hightowers, were on the fairer side from the beginning. We also have a member of the house named Lucifer. Lord Lucifer Massey stood for King Maegor I in his trial of seven. And except for the guy with the name Lightbringer, we also see the names Tristan, Gormon, Joshua, Albin and Eleanor, which are Arthurian legend inspired as well. And also the name Maldon. Maldon names derived from Old English and came from Mile, meaning monument, and Dun, meaning hill. So translate as monument hill. It is a place in Essex. And it was obviously chosen as a name here, since the area where the seat of House Massey is located is very similar to the area where the town of Maldon is located. The town is located on the Blackwater estuary in Essex, and House Massey was one of the primary houses that claimed Blackwater as, which is obviously a reference to the real Blackwater. And Maldon was known and is still known for its salt. Sea salt production in the coastal town of Maldon dates back to the time of Roman Britain, and the salt is said to be less bitter because of low magnesium content. I don't know how true this is, I haven't tasted. So we have another salty, paled here coastal ancient house with pirate kings and Arthurian names. Before I move to their neighbors in Tarth, I want to talk about their sigil for a moment. Their arms have a triskelion, red, green, and blue on white. I touched on it a little bit in my video about the horns, but the colors we see here are the primary colors we associate with the branches of magic we have in the series. Martin is a huge fan of heraldry, and he put clues and beads and easter eggs in them, and I cannot dismiss the Triskelion because we are talking about one of the oldest spiritual symbols. Generally, the main idea of the Triskelion is the triad and how all three parts share a connection. Some triad connections related to it include past, present and future, creation, protection and destruction, the celestial, spiritual, and physical world, water, earth, and sky, and life, death, and rebirth. It is a symbol of harmony and motion. In the Massey sigils, we have the three colors we associate with the different branches of magic, which means that all magic is connected. The base, the source, is one. Magic is a part of nature, and it can be in constant motion and harmony if used ethically, I think. Now let's go to the most beautiful place to live in Westeros, hands down, Darth. I left House Tarth and House Dane last because they are different, not because of their sea-related activities, but because of magic. Swords. Now, the Tarths are considered to be of Andal descent, most likely because they married into the female line of an already existing Donate's house. We are told that the Tarths were once kings and had the name Evenstar since the Donate's, and they still use it for the title for the heads of the house, and to be honest, I think this was the name of the OG house. In the world book, we have this part, 
We can say with fair certainty that the great island kingdom of Tarth fell under the sway of House Durandon when Durand III took to wife the daughter of its king, Edwin Evenstar. The way it's worded here implies that Evenstar was a family name, not a title. Evenstar is an old name for Venus that I talked about extensively in the Faith of the Seven videos, and I really believe that the fallen celestial bodies are a reference to Venus. Even the sword is called Lightbringer, which is a name for Venus, and the sigil of House Dane depicts the fallen star that Dawn was made from as an eight-pointed star, which is traditionally used for Venus. The castle of House Tarth is also called Evenfall Hall, which is another take on the seat of House Dane, Starfall. And that brings me to Galadon. I think we can all agree that if one person has the role of Galadon in our story, it is obviously Brienne. And I am gonna bet that she's his actual descendant too. Sir Galadon was a champion of such valor that the maiden herself lost her heart to him. She gave him an enchanted sword as token of her love. The just maid it was called, no common sword could check her, nor any shield withstand her kiss. Sir Galadon bore the just maid proudly, but only thrice did he unscathe her. He would not use the maid against a mortal man, for she was so potent as to make any fight unfair. And here I see three very important things. One, Brienne has the role of Galadon, and Jaime has the role of the maiden when he gave her Oathkeeper. Two, the just maid sounds exactly like Don. And last but not least, the just maid plays the role of the even star in Lord of the Rings. In the films, we saw a jeweled pendant called the Even Star, which Arwen gave to Aragorn as a token of their love. In the novels, Arwen gave Frodo the Even Star, a white gem like star hanging upon a silver chain, and said, When the memory of the fear and the darkness troubles you, this will bring you aid. Also, Arwen herself was called Even Star. So, if I'm not that off about the Seven being a star, then the Maiden, like Arwen, was indeed an Even Star, and gave Galadon the sword. I cannot be sure that the story is 100% real, of course, but we see again a fallen star, since the city is called Evenfall, Venus parallels, and the magic sword. On top of that, Galadon and the ruins in Tarth are called Morn, like the mountains in Asai, and the island itself is the Sapphire Island, like all the jeweled associated emperors of the Great Emperor of the Dawn. Also, the ruins don't seem like they were made by the first men. Maybe they were proto-andals in Tarth, and they were built by them, or it was someone else, but for sure not by the first men. The story about Galadon and the Maiden again could have later been changed due to all the great Andal influence on the island. In any case, we have a lot of Dane parallels and many Far East references. The house too has some Arthurian and old English-inspired names like Edwin, which is also the earliest name we know from the house. And that brings me to House Dane, finally which not only has Arthurian names like Arthur, but they have an ancestral magical sword that only worthy members of the house are given the privilege to carry. George is a huge fan of comic books, and one of his favorite storytellers is actually Stan Lee, the creator of Ebony Blade. And Don is a take on the Ebony Blade, Dane Whitman's sword. So let's talk about the Ebony Blade, and tell me it doesn't sound familiar. The Ebony Blade itself was inspired by Excalibur, the sword was made from a meteor and was enchanted by Merlin for Sir Percy, the first Black Knight. At some point, Dane Whitman, the descendant of Percy, gave up the Ebony Blade by driving it deep into the same meteor that it was forged from because of a curse that the sword acquired. Now it is residing in his castle and only another deemed worthy would be able to withdraw it. During an attack on the castle, the sword was withdrawn by his ex-squire 
and that turned him into Bloodwrath. Sin was not strong enough to resist the curse of the sword, and he was constantly killing, mostly innocent people. Bloodwrath was getting stronger because of the souls of the slain by the Ebony Blade. The sword could trap dead souls and was feeding off of them, and it constantly craved new blood to add to its power. Before giving up the sword, Dane had removed the curse by bathing it into magic fire, but the curse returned when Namor used it to kill his wife Marina. The thing is, its power relies on the curse. It thrives on the negative tendencies of flawed and imperfect wielders to maximize its power, something that only the unworthy can utilize as its edge dulls when wielded by a chivalrous soul. So Ebony Blade is something between Dawn, Valyrian Steel, and Lightbringer, since the two are described as drinking the soul of those who are killed with it. And Valyrian Steel drinks the light and is therefore dark. Specifically, the Ebony Blade in its purified state sounds a lot like Dawn, a sword that can only be wielded by a worthy person, while in its normal state, meaning with a curse, sounds like Lightbringer, especially the part where the curse happened because someone skewered his wife with it. In any case, we are reading Martin, not a comic, and the sword is a tool, it's not itself an asshole. But if the wielder is, bad stuff could happen. The sword is in Starfall now, but oh my god, if I Am of the Night takes it, there is a huge possibility some serious shit might occur. Same thing with Valyrian Steel, I really don't know how okay it is, considering blood magic and sacrifices are most likely necessary for its forging. I want to make a video about swords, Valyrian blades, dragonglass, etc. we know of in the current timeline, and make prediction about them, and I will talk about Dawn more. In any case, Dawn and Lightbringer have very similar names, both of them symbolize the arrival of light, but considering that Martin chose the name for Venus, that is also the evening star that brings the night, and we see people like Darkstar and the title Evenstar from a house that has a connection with Galadon, another person with a magical sword similar to Dawn, I think that Darkstar not only will take Dawn, but he's gonna be even more cringy and dangerous afterwards. Because there must be a reason why non-worthy people are not allowed to wield the sword. If it was that the sword doesn't work as well if the wielder isn't worthy, who cares? Small problem, but if the sword pushes the wielder to become even worse, then there is a serious reason why you would give it only to worthy people. And as I said in the Tart section, the depiction of the star in the sigil of House Dane in the World Book and other official art is an eight-pointed star, meaning the Lightbringer. About the house in general, I think it's very obvious that they were not first men. They have purple eyes, and the author himself has said in the So Spake Martin event Horizon chat that their purple eyes do not necessarily indicate Valyrian descent. So their ancestors had this trait, meaning they wouldn't have been first men, and they weren't Valyrian either. And they too were fairly good seafarers, since they followed a falling star all the way to dawn. Why all these people came, I don't think we can know with certainty. Maybe they wanted land, maybe they had visions and dreams about the West, since everyone and their mother had, apparently. Maybe it was just for trade and explorations. Let's not forget that out of the five houses, the three, along with the Ironborn, were explorers and had ties with the sea. House Dane followed the comet and House Tarth maybe had some similar experience, since their seat is also called Evenfall. But we cannot be sure. The only thing sure is that other people aside from the first men started to reach Westeros, something that I personally think was to be expected considering these people were seafarers. 
This is it for today's upload. I hope you had a good time and liked the video. If you did, press a like, leave a comment and subscribe to the channel if you haven't. Thanks a lot for watching and bye!